if you work in this way, sending a force to the deceased people, it helps you in this life as well. Welcome back to Mind Matters, everyone. I'm Harrison Cayley, joined as usual by Elon Martin and Adam Daniels. Hi, Adam. <laughs> and today we are very pleased to have a returning guest, Father Joseph Azizi. Last time we had him on the show, it was to discuss his book published in 2019, Gurdjieff, Mysticism, Contemplation, and Exercises. And we had a great talk about that book and some of the contemplative exercises from Gurdjieff um, that he that Joseph discusses in those books in that discusses in that book and this article because this is going to be the subject of our the main subject of our discussion today Gurdjieff's help for the deceased exercise and this was published in 2020 in Alternative Spirituality and Religion Review so to to get started I just want to welcome you back to the show Joseph. Uh, we should have had you on earlier, but but we're happy nice to have to you back. back again. Nice to see you all again. So to start out with, I want to tell a story about how I how I decided that I wanted to talk to you about this particular subject. But before that, could you just give a little background on the subject of this article? So what is the help for the deceased exercise and and what made you um, decide to devote an entire article to it? Yes. I'm an honorary associate at the University of Sydney in the Department of Religious Studies, and they invite academics to um, present papers from time to time. Now, I'm not there full time, I'm not on the staff, I just conduct research which they support but I decided to participate in the series and what I thought would be good would be to update as it were the book Gurdjieff mysticism etc and after I had published that book the transcripts of Gurdjieff's 1944 group meetings in Paris had become available or at least a number of transcripts were released. I'm quite certain that there were many more meetings, but whether the transcripts survive or not, we don't know. And so I presented a seminar taking the material in the 1944 transcripts and applying it to what was in the book, seeing what was new, where there was continuity, where there was discontinuity. And as the talk progressed, it became apparent that the new exercise, which was interesting people most of all, was the help for the deceased exercise. Not least because we all have some interest in what happens after death to ourselves and to others. But also for those who know something about Gurdjieff, it seems to contradict everything he said about life after death. And so there's been this question of where these ideas are coming from, 
what did Gurdjieff really believe? What did Gurdjieff know? And what can we do in respect of life after death of a physical body, not only for ourselves, but in relation to other people too? Because Gurdjieff had always said that whatever happens after death, it is affected by this life here. The only life we can work on directly is this life here. And so if we work in this life, it will help us in any future life we may have. If we don't work in this life, then we perish like a dog. And the prospects for any life after physical death are that much grimmer. In the help of a deceased exercise, he presents a picture where after death, the souls of the people we've known continue around us. And we continue to have a relationship with those whom we were related to by blood. Now, the relationship is ordinarily a passive one. We're related to them, but we're passive, they're passive. In these exercises, because they're given, there are several exercises given in slightly different ways, Gurdjieff is saying that the relationship between us can become a more active one, that we can actually send them help even after they've died, which of course opens the possibility that someone could send us help after the death of our physical bodies. And he also says that if you work in this way, sending a force to the deceased people, it helps you in this life as well. It helps your development. So it was quite startling. And the people who were present at the seminar all honed in on that. Now, there are other things from the 1944 transcripts which are of some considerable interest, particularly for one's own personal development. And after all, the Gurdjieff system is meant to be practical. And in fact, that's part of the reason he says so little about life after death, because he said people shouldn't be fantasizing about what's going to happen after they die. They should be working now. And then that will look after everything else. So as I worked on this material, I found that there was there were snatches of other similar materials over probably beginning in the 1930s. Gurdjieff had said things to Donald Whitcomb and had given Whitcomb an exercise for helping his deceased father. He'd said something to Catherine Hume, helping her with her mother, who seems to have been alive at the time. And, and that's another interesting aspect of it. And then um, Bennett, in witness, gives in great detail an exercise involving his deceased mother, and he speaks about that. And then I also found out that certain other of Gurdjieff's pupils had similar exercises. And so um, that's how I came to write the article. 
but in some ways the more interesting thing is actually applying it in practice, trying to use it with people in the group, which I, I can speak about uh, in a discreet and circumspect manner, if you like. Mm -hmm. Please. We will, how about we save that? We'll get, we'll ask you about that in a, in a little in, bit. A little bit. Um, first, first, I think we'll get into a bit more detail on what it is, uh, what the, what mo more of what's involved in the actual exercise. But even before that, I, I want to tell the, just a little story about um, what kind of, ins what inspired this talk. A few months ago, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a discussion with Arthur Versluis, who is uh, an American author and expert on all, all sorts of um, um, esoteric subjects. Um, one of his specialties is American uh, American spirituality and American like religious and spiritual movements. And one, uh, another of his specialities is the mysticism of Jakob Buma. And I believe that Cynthia Bour Bourgeau, if that's how you pronounce it, she wrote a book, which I haven't read, on on Gurdjieff's Law of Three and kind of tracking the ideas where where I'm pretty sure she gets into Jakob Buma's stuff. But we were talking to Arthur about one of his recent books called Conversations in Apocalyptic Times, which is a dialogue between him and a psychologist named Robert J. Foss. And in that book, they're, they're discussing a, a lot of topics, but one of them is death in the afterlife. And he made an interesting remark about one of Buma's followers, um, Johann Gichtel, and how Gichtel had assisted a friend of his who had committed suicide in the afterlife while Gichtel was still alive. And I thought, well, that's that's really interesting, and it immediately reminded me of the of the of this exercise that I'd write. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. So after that discussion, um, I. I read another of Arthur's books, Wisdom's Children, which is all about, it's called uh, A Christian Esoteric Tradition. And this is all about Jakob Buma and the, the whole tradition that came after him. And there's one little interesting thing in here. Well, it's, the, it's what he talked about in brief in our conversation and in conversations, conversations with Apocalyptic Times. And it's just a little brief, brief story. Um, unfortunately, Gichtel's letters aren't are only available in German so they haven't been translated into English just snippets of them but I just want to read one paragraph so Arthur Versluis writes in Gichtel's view it is possible in other words not only for the soul to pass from wrath fire into rest but for someone living to intercede for a lost soul this in fact Gichtel himself said he did on several occasions the most notable of which is, of course, when a friend and benefactor of his had wooed Sophia very ardently, Sophia being wisdom, and then, disappointed, committed suicide with five self-inflicted wounds. Gichtel at first thought his friend was doomed to hell, but found that, after years of prayer, his benefactor in fact passed into eternal rest through the power of Christ. I mention this episode because... Like the other incidents in which Gichtel saw the states of those who had died, Gichtel held that he was able to see into the soul's realm and was e even able to channel to the soul Christ's liberating power. So that uh, that really that really stuck with me and made me make 
you know, make at least a tenuous connection with, with your article, because in, in your article you mentioned that Gurdjieff's form of this exercise is totally unique. Like, you can't find, um, you can't, you, aside from prayer for the dead, you can't find many of these details, um, especially the idea of kind of, of sending, a, sending some kind of energy from the living to the dead. And so, so I don't know all the details about Gictel, but it, but the the thing that struck that stuck out to me was that um, this idea of of Gictel himself channeling Christ's healing power to his dead friend in in the afterlife, and so I know Arthur found that really fascinating too. Um, so I just want to ask if if you have any thoughts on that and and how that does or doesn't relate to Gurdjieff's exercise. Yeah, I think there's a definite relationship, and the relationship is in reality rather than in the transmission of ideas. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's that the ideas have been borrowed. I think that there is an actual reality here. Um, now, I'll just say briefly, I've discussed this exercise and other parallels with uh, Carol Cusack, who's a professor of religious studies here at the University of Sydney. And she said pretty much the same as yourself, that from what we can see, this is unique. There, there, there is an international tradition of praying for one's dead, but n we never see it taking this form what you've just mentioned now, I'll have to look at. I am aware um, a friend of mine, Sam Robinson, is doing some work on the German esoteric tradition. And I am aware that there's a lot in the German esoteric tradition which bears at least superficial resemblances to some of Gurdjieff's ideas. And it could be that there is some connection through Freemasonry. A particular strand of Freemasonry, not all Freemasons, don't, it's not that at all, but there were, there were particular strands of Freemasonry. Freemasonry. Now, to come directly to that passage, which is the first time I've heard of that, it could well be that Gictel happened upon this mechanism whereby if there is a strong enough connection between people, then an ex a, a flow of energies can take place even after the person has died. Now, Gurdjieff does say something about this. First of all, and I think this has to be placed at the forefront, anyone who works with this type of method would be well advised to begin by coming into what Gurdjieff called the collected state. I, I can't just, as it were, have the idea that I'm going to send force to the other side or something like that, or to a deceased person, and it just be a fantasy. For there to be a reality, I have to have some being. I have to have some force which I can send. I need to have some being reality. If I have no being reality, how can I do anything? That's why in the Gurdjieff tradition, 
the help of a deceased exercise or anything similar begins with the collected state. And um, Gurdjieff always said this. It was an unspoken assumption. It doesn't matter what the exercise was, whether it was the four ideals or whatever. I have to begin by collecting myself, coming to my best state of being reality. That is to be awake in all three grains, to have the sense of I am in my body, in my feeling and in my mind in the way appropriate for each of those three bodies. And then when I'm collected, something might be possible. So that's the first thing. And Gikdal, I suspect, had some type of practice. I mean, if he was associated with Burma, he certainly did, mm -hmm. because there's no question except that Burma understood very many world truths about the spiritual and contemplative lives. Um, he was one of the few people that Mr. Rady used to read to us. Um, there's a lot in him, which is, I think, his personal interpretation of an objective truth which he has received. And so when Gittel speaks about channeling, as it were, the liberating love of Christ, this is his subjective interpretation of an objective reality because the things which happen in this type of area where we're using higher bodies, and I'll explain that in a moment, higher bodies, higher centers, finer energies can't ever really be explained in terms of our ordinary language. Our ordinary mind can't grasp it. So when we use the mind to communicate, we just have to do the best with what's available to us. And so someone like Gictul will experience something and he understands that himself. He interprets it, not knowing it's an interpretation, as being the love of Christ. Now, there are all sorts of things about Christ um, which are objective, but at least on Gurdjieff's interpretation, and this is the fullest I know of, what would be happening would be that Gictel would be in a collected state, or at least a very good state. He would have some of this energy of the higher body, the Kesjan body, Gurdjieff calls it, the astral body, to use theosophical terminology. And the blood of this body, what Gurdjieff called Henbledzoin, I think that's what's happening, is sent to someone because there's a feeling connection with them, an essence connection with them. This is as I understand it. Um, some of it I'm conjecturing because Gurdjieff never explains it very clearly. He describes the process rather than the theoretical background. I, I'm trying to fill that in. But if I'm correct that there is a blood of the higher body, a substance available to us, and it's an intelligent substance, it's not inert. It, it, it is actually a spiritual substance. It has an intelligence. 
of its own, but it will cooperate with us. If there's an essence connection between two people, for example, parents and children or siblings, Gurdjieff said there's a connection there in essence, and there will always be a connection between them. It may be possible if the person has the requisite state of being to send some of their own force through that connection to the recipient. That's what I, on this interpretation, we would say that's what Gictal is doing, but subjectively he experiences it or he interprets it to himself as being this. But the fact that he had the idea of sending the force, that, that to me is unique because in the Catholic and Orthodox traditions, we pray for the dead, we have masses for the dead, requiems, this type of thing. But there's never any suggestion that we're sending something to them we're interceding to God, for God to help them. Now, it may come to the same thing. If the person is of, if the person has enough being, their saying the requiem may amount to the same thing. There could be some mechanism where having that intention, it actually occurs. But for people like myself who aren't as developed as Gurdjieff, this is conjecture. Gurdjieff did speak about having requiem said for Dean Bush, and he said something like, I wasn't even certain that the requiems were effective, but nonetheless I had them said. And then after Gurdjieff's death on the 29th of October, for years, Madame de Saltzman and the pupils would go to the Russian Orthodox Church and pray. they join in for Gurdjieff. And there's a letter from Madame de Saltzman to Mr. Rady where she said, we feel more our connection with Gurdjieff on the 29th. I think there could be something in that. I, I, I would by no means discount the idea that having these memorial remembrances for people are especially auspicious occasions for this type of contact. And I suspect that these requiem masses are effective. I suspect that what Gitchtel did was effective. I suspect that what Gurdjieff did was bring a method which is even more intense, maybe even more effective for being more direct and involving more understanding of what was being done. As I say, this is conjecture, but the longer I've been going as a priest, the more I've been certain that these masses we say for the repose of the dead, not only assist those living, but also assist the deceased in some mysterious way. And then of course, later on, we can speak about the help for the deceased exercise itself. And I'm quite certain that that can be effective. I've, I've got no doubt about that. Well, how about we get into the actual exercise itself right now? Um, okay. What, yeah, what are, maybe you can just run us through the basics of 
what happens? Like what, what are the essential elements of the exercise itself? Yeah. First of all, as I said, the collected state. And I've described that in the book. Um, it's in the chapter on Gurdjieff. It's also the Paris meetings. And also there's a chapter, I think it's number 17, on the preparation. The preparation is basically the collected state exercise being utilised to help us make the most of each day. Having a an aim in life, having a plan for the day, coming to it in the collected state. And in the collected state, one has more willpower, one has more force. One can make decisions which will affect more of the person. My decisions won't just be mental, they may also have resonance in the feeling and in the organic instinct in the body. So it begins with that. And when we've worked at it, we've always begun with the collected state exercise. Now, the way Gurdjieff first explained it to Donald Whitcomb, which is the earliest version I know of, and it's in the article, it's in some unpublished memoirs written by Whitcomb. Gurdjieff had apparently asked him about his relationship with his father. And then he said to him, you can work for your father. And he told him, you send some of your energy from, and he spoke about sending it from the head. I think he said the back of the head to his father. And one has a, an image of the person one is sending it to. The visualization seems to be an important factor in this to visualize the person one is sending it to and then send it from the back of the head. And helping the person with one's own energy, it, the intention is also important. I, I intend to help this person by sending them some of my own force, sharing, as it were, some of my being with them. And so, I send that force from the back of the head to the person and Gurdjieff said, I say, I am, I am for you. And so he didn't say how long to continue it, but he did later on say to Bennett that this is tiring, that when this sort of thing is done, the astral body, because the work is actually done by the astral body, it's not done by the physical body, the astral body has to use the energies of the physical body, so it will be tiring. But it will repay the physical body later on. But the astral body will be fair and just. So that was what he gave Whitcomb basically, that idea of working like that for his father. Now, then when he met Whitcomb again, he seems to have added to it the exercises given to Bennett and Hume and other people, because after that article appeared, I was contacted by other people who said, oh, my teacher had something very similar. 
but we never understood what they were doing and this type of thing. And in the form in which Gurdjieff gave it in the last year, and which is found also in the 1944 transcripts, he says, take this picture of my mother, his mother. And he said, imagine. Now, he gave it in different ways, but it seems to have been a constant that you had to imagine his mother and the deceased person to whom you were sending it and you visualised them. So with Bennett, he said, visualise my mother sitting on one chair and your mother sitting on another chair and bring them into contact with each other. And then Bennett goes on to describe how difficult the exercise was, how it used a lot of energy. It always left him tired. But then one day he said the representations of his mother and Gurdjieff's mother made a definite contact. He said his mother had been resisting looking at Gurdjieff's mother, but one day she turned her head. And after that, he was bathed in sweat and he could never work on the exercise again. And when he saw Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff said to him that he was glad that that had happened, but now they were family. The idea behind it was that Gurdjieff himself was sending force to his mother. He was helping his mother, who was already deceased, and that if you could put his mother into contact with the other people, she could show them what to do. In other words, she was like a, a psychopomp, a guide to the other side. Now, this concept is known from ancient mythology, the idea of a psychopomp. And in the um, uh, Christian liturgies for the deceased, they say, may angels come out to meet you and lead you into heaven, this type of thing. Gurdjieff also gave it in slightly different forms. In one of them, you had to imagine Gurdjieff in his room and he was at his table and he was sending the energy to his mother. And then it was basically like how it was described with Bennett, that then his mother would be the guide for the other person. Now, there are more details, but I think that's the essence of it. I don't use the version involving the photograph of Gurdjieff's mother. I've seen that photograph, but I don't use that version because it seemed to me to be reliant upon the relationship with Gurdjieff. I only know of Gurdjieff having given to people who actually knew him. And in the Paris transcripts, they have to imagine Gurdjieff at the table in his room where they have seen him before. Well, I can't do that. I, I don't have that connection with Gurdjieff. And um, as for using Gurdjieff's mother, I just have a sense 
but there's an artificiality about it for us today. But the version which he gave Donald Whitcomb, I, I, I sense a difference there. And I, I believe that can be used. And I'm, I am certain it's effective. My certainty is not conclusive for you. It might not even be persuasive for anyone else. But I myself am certain that it can be effective. And this is also the experience of other people with whom I've worked. But I, I should reiterate, it is timing. People tend to find that it's quite exhausting and they tend to find this in proportion to the extent to which they sense something real and effective has occurred. So I know of one case where someone did it, worked at it, they believe that it made a dramatic change in their relationship with someone to whom they are related by blood and who is still alive because it can also be used for the living. But this person was so tired after that that they practically had to spend the whole of the next day in bed. Now, I can go into further details, but did any of you wish to say anything at that point? I, just a couple of observations, because um, it's so interesting that he, Gurdjieff, came to uh, John Bennett and said what he did about uh, almost a, a knowing about his mother's state of being in the afterlife, um, you know, assuming the reality of all of it, of course. And it suggested that the connection he had created, uh, that Gurdjieff had created with his own mother, uh, this, this, uh, this kind of um, unconscious communication, perhaps, or uh, the you know, through just the process, the ongoing process of sending her energy and, and, and perhaps him being able to understand on some intuitive level uh, what she was understanding from her state of being that, you know, maybe this information about Bennett's mother had come from her to Gurdjieff that he was able to sit down with Bennett and say, hey, Th this is what I think's going on with her. I happen to know this uh, or intuit this. And this is what I think would assist her. And um, before I ask you to comment on that, Joseph, I just wanted to mention also that this reminded me a bit of um, uh, Reverend Dale's um, afterlife literature. Uh, from beyond the veil, because when when uh, this is the story of him um, doing automatic writing and being spoken to from figures in the afterlife, and very early on in this five volume uh, notation that he takes, learning about this this other world, uh, very early on it's his mother who who has helped kind of. Um, uh, be the, the, the starting point. Um, so it, it was his connection to his own mother that facilitated uh, other um, communication that he received in automatic writing. 
uh, that had its own consistency and its own vernacular and and had you know expounded on all kinds of things that that um, that were quite interesting and insightful from a spiritual and religious point of view anyway but uh, so I I found that interesting that commonality that the the connection between one living and one's mother or you know the next closest relative perhaps would be uh, a, a kind of a facilitator for even um, broader uh, communication and, and work done with this other level of reality or other personalities um, but yeah if there's uh, anything about those observations that you'd care to um, respond to or have thoughts on yeah one thing which i'd like to mention now which i'm reminded of by what you've said is that gurdjieff always said you have to love your parents even if they were bad parents still you must love them and there's even in one of the transcripts where he says have compassion for your parents because they have to answer for you in another world and which is unusual in terms of the system as presented to Spensky and again in Beelzebub's Tales but this this idea of having compassion for your parents and loving them was clearly very important to Gurdjieff um, yeah, there were the stories about people who'd been with Uspensky, went to see Gurdjieff in 1948, and they asked him questions about the ray of creation. And he said, well, I have a question for you. Uh, are you a good child to your parents? One of the things about this help for the deceased exercise is that it's shown me that the relationship with our parents is a dynamic one and that it can continue and change even after their death and that what might not have been possible for us while they were alive in the physical body can be possible for us now and that our work can actually assist them so that the parent with whom we enter into contact is more like the essence of the parent all the personality uh, drops away and there's just connection between our essence and their essence and it's very different from the relationship which is full of recriminations and resentments or even likes and affections things like that it's um, a very impartial sort of love it's like almost an acknowledgement of the fact of the essence relationship, which includes in itself love, but it's not love as we ordinarily know it. So this relationship with the parents is really critical for one's further development because I suspect that there is a limit on how far we can advance as individuals until we have 
a sort of essence peace with our parents. But there is some way in which our beings are shared. And it's ineluctable. You can't escape from it. And this exercise enables one to relate to one's parents more from essence than from personality. Now, as I've mentioned, some people have also worked on it with people who are alive and that they're related to by blood. And they're finding something similar too. So there are at least several people that are finding that this is the case. And in this way, the help for the deceased exercise is related to all of Gurdjieff's work. It's not some sort of weird or eccentric tangent or excrescence. It's actually in the center of the work because it's the development of one's own essence. And given the essence relationship with our parents, if our essence develops, then that relationship must be developed. And this was a way of making that relationship more conscious and developing it more intensely. Now, having said that, with what you've just mentioned, Ilan, yes, Gurdjieff does say in the transcripts, the relationship with the mother is the very closest. Uh, I, I could be wrong. It may be my projection, but I think he said something like you were in her womb for 42 weeks or something like that. But she, or he says she bore you so that there is a particularly close relationship with one's mother. But I believe that the essence relationship with one's father is real. And Gurdjieff said it went with the blood. He said it can apply also to siblings, to grandparents, to uncles, to aunts. And I also believe that that's true. But as is so often the case, if one begins first with one's own parents and can find something there, it makes the other relationships then more fertile ground for work. Um, as for this um, chap you mentioned that had the automatic writing, I haven't come across him before, but as a general rule, um, Gurdjieff did not um, disdain the idea of automatic writing. Um, I, I could speculate about what goes on in it, what occurs when it's genuine and it's not just imagine, um, false imagination, uh, fantasy, because of course imagination can be real and constructive or it can be unreal and simply fantasy. I, I won't speculate about that and I haven't read that person's writing, but what I tend to find is that they, they, they sometimes have something objective and real but then it becomes mixed with their own inventions. And one can only discriminate on the basis of one's own experience. If I have had a real experience, I can recognize it in what they've written and I can recognize as it were the truth of it. And I can learn something from what they've said. It, it can present a perspective which is quite illuminating. 
But if I haven't had that experience, well, I'm suggestible. <clears throat> oh, there's a couple different directions we can go from there. But um, did you have um, did you have any other details from you and your your group's experience with uh, with the exercise, or did you say as much as you as you wanted to say about that? No, I, I'd, I'd like to add a bit more. Um, the first thing is, excuse me, we worked at it basically, as I said, with the collected state, with a very clear aim, with a very clear intention, and then for a specific period, using it the way Gurdjieff showed Whitcomb, but aware of the other things which Gurdjieff had said about it, but not using the method of the photograph. And I believe, and again, I stress this, don't just, I'm, I'm not telling you I'm a prophet, I know this. This is my experience. It's not um, definitive for anybody else. This is just my experience. I believe that it has taught me whatever else it's done. I believe it taught me something about my parents, which I would never have imagined. And it showed me that the parent that had seemed to me to be the most dominating was not, in fact, that the big influence was actually the other parent, that the other parent was more in essence excuse me, and that the parent that I thought was the dominating parent was more in personality and that the influence of the parent who was in essence was actually stronger in me, in the real me, than that of the other parent, which until I saw it, I, I, I would have thought it was crazy. And I also believe now that my relationship with the parents, my parents has changed. And I, I would say I have reason to believe that it's been of effect, that it's been effective for them. Um, okay, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is that I am also sure that it's possible to establish a relationship with people to whom one is not related by blood, but it is helpful to have something which they owned and which they used. Now, Gurdjieff refers to this particularly in the books In Search of the Miraculous and in Belzebub. We have experimented with what I've mentioned, but holding something which belonged to someone else and then basically doing the help for the deceased exercise, but for someone living and holding this item to strengthen the link between us and them. And Gurdjieff explains it to, he explained it to Uspensky 
and it's in the article I wrote on help for the deceased. Again, it's impossible to prove it scientifically, that is, to replicate the experiment and to have the same results every time. Now, I think that it is a science, but there are just too many variables. For the start, there's my own condition, my own being. And secondly, there's the condition of the other person. The other person may be more or less responsive, more or less open. And I think that also has a bearing. I, I think that a person can resist the help which is being given them. I mean, that was quite clear in Bennett's example. His mother was resisting until the end. But it's possible to assist other people and sometimes even to get the relief of pain. That that can occur. I, I can't guarantee it always will. Um, it may never occur in certain cases. <coughs> but at least sometimes it seems to occur. A sceptic could say it was just coincidence that when someone here attempted the exercise, the person they were thinking of had an alleviation of their pain. And it may just be coincidence. I can't prove otherwise. But I can say this. I think that whether it's coincidence or not, I think that the effect upon the person who is doing the work is good and beneficial. Now, it's not the only good and beneficial work you can do, but it is a charitable work. And I believe it strengthens positive feeling. I've, I've also found, and not only me, but other people have found, that working with this line does produce a sort of physical weakness. The body gets tired. There's no question about that. And you can feel tired for up to a week. But it's more like the body is now in a different place. It's not as dominant as it was. And it allows a different quality of feeling, a different quality of mind. The three centers are aligned differently. The one is not so much serving the body as a slave. The body has cooperated. It's, it's made its energy available to support the feeling in this exercise. But then the body has to be replenished. And, and so one has to be fair to the body. But for that reason, that the three centers are realigned and the feeling and the mind become more active and I think actually work more clearly. I've got no doubt except that the mind works more clearly after it. I think it's beneficial to the people who are using it. And again, as a general rule, I think that it's it's probably even advisable to prepare oneself with the collected state exercise so that one is in the best possible state for it and that it is not a purely mental thing. It's not just 
fantasy and uncontrolled imagination or sentimentality about me sending flowers and gifts to people in Summerland or something like that. It, it has to have some reality about it. So, some reality and some purpose. And um, yeah. I, I wanted to add, I, uh, I appreciate you bringing it to this personal level and explaining your, um, your new understanding of your parents um, and what doing some, uh, some of these exercises has, has brought you to. Uh, because as I was reading this, um, I was thinking about my own parents. Uh, my father is deceased and my mother is uh, elderly. And the various conversations I have had with them about, you know, the soul and dying and what that means. And, um, you know, on, on one level, reading all of this is, it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's you know, stimulating, and and on another, it's like, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is real to some great degree, probably, and there's a reality to it, and it behooves me as a person, as someone who loves my parents, to assimilate it in some manner, to the best of my ability. Um, at, at the very least, I would just add that uh, all of this reawakens or reopens my acceptance of this dynamic, this, um, you know, th th there is a, there's more to uh, our levels of reality and their connection that we've been given to understand, obviously. And, and so this is a, uh, you know, it's it's like a very oh, you know, I was surprised when Harrison said, you know, you had this paper on Gurdjieff and and talking to uh, the deceased. I was, I was like, wow, this is really quite interesting. But also, I want to know what he what he meant and what he understood, uh, because everything with Gurdjieff was translated into practical, uh, workable. Uh, I don't want to say nuts and bolts because it's so materialistic, but in in some it it had a a weight to it. Um, well, so well, you mentioned the uh, <clears throat> just the aspect of that actual relationship, like with your with your living mother and the the conversations you had with your father when he was alive, and that just made me think of how how little i think in our culture we remember the dead and it made me think of like the ancient roman religion where you had you had the the face masks of your relatives going back well for the rich families you know but we're going back generations and of course because there weren't photographs but you had that living or that that physical memory of them, you could see their faces, and there was a respect for a respect for your ancestors, and and your parents, and and so I th I think, at the very least, Joseph, like you you mentioned Gurdjieff's injunction that 
it's important to to love your parents to have a to be a, a good you know a good um, child to your parents and it seems like that that's almost a first step in what might be even like um something that's even more complex because it, it is that that relation by blood and it starts with your with your parents and your siblings and and goes out to your to your um you know your cousins and your extended cousins but it also goes back to your your great grandparents and your great great grandparents and um yeah. expanding circles of relatives so i don't i just i don't know if there's anything else i that that came to, that comes to mind about that dynamic just that that's the that's the kind of imagery it brought up is is that kind of extended even back in back into the time or, or back in time and um and that i don't know maybe maybe relationships are even possible there maybe but maybe that's too distant maybe that is too distant and it if it has some effect or there's some kind of operation at work that maybe it is more more unconscious and, and less accessible in kind of a direct way but i don't know i'm just throwing that out there the other aspect which is also starts to open up is the horizontal aspect because Gurdjieff also brought this series of exercises called the web exercise mm. or the network exercise where the people in the group work together and they formed a web and he said along this network energy can actually flow now it's the same sort of thing but in a horizontal direction between people who are connected um, by their inner spiritual work, a, a common spiritual work. Now, this is extremely difficult. Um, we've tried it several times, and in my experience, it hasn't worked because there's been the group hasn't been enough of a circle. I think we might be getting to a point here in Sydney where we could work that way, but. I haven't tried it yet, but I do know of people in the USA. Um, you mentioned Cynthia. Mm -hmm. Cynthia um, is very advanced in this line of work, and she she works with some people in her wisdom group, and they have found something with the web exercise, um, which I, I applaud them for. They they've shown that something is possible so that this eventually becomes an assistance even in the relationship with the driver of the bus i i get on a bus i barely know the driver may never see the person again but there's still some connection there you, you sense things even in the most cursory way you know the people you see out of the corner of your eye but i can't work like that the way I can with this sort of exercise. This this begins with something very close to me, very concrete, very palpable, very tangible. It doesn't exclude the other relationships. In fact, maybe it even makes something more possible. At least I'm aware that even people who pass one another influence one another but the influence is very small in fact so small that often we don't even speak about it 
and maybe we're right to do that so that one doesn't become all sentimental and filled with um, fantasies about going out into the street and shining white light or something like that. But it does have that aspect. Um, it's got, you know, you were saying these people are a lot further off, the great-grandparents. They are. They're, they're a lot further off. But um, it doesn't mean nothing is happening. We, we work close. We work where we are. And then maybe bit by bit, some type of expansion will be possible. It's something we'll discover. It might be one of you or someone else discovers something. I've already started to have a sense that the relationship with the grandparents has started to become different. Mm. But as I say, um, I, I think it would be um, counterproductive to start to fantasize about that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adam, did you have a question? Is there something you wanted to bring up? No, I saw you taking some notes. Mm. I'm not sure where I want to go next. I um, well, I did. I'd I'd wanted to bring up the web exercise, so I'm glad that you brought it up, hmm. Joseph. Um, now. Maybe just one more thing on the web exercise, because in that, for those who aren't familiar with it, I can't remember if we might have discussed it in our last conversation briefly, but that involves <clears throat> basically picturing a connection between different members of of one's, you know, one's group. So in in this case, it was when Gurdjieff described it, it was the, the French groups and um, well, could you, could you describe the, the image, um, that, that Gurdjieff suggested to, to, to essentially visualize yeah. and wasn't, was there something, I, I can't remember, was there something about a street on Paris? I can't remember if that was part of the web exercise that, you know, you can, well, I can't remember if that was an important part or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what he said was that if, say, for example, there's a group of a certain number of people, let's say 10, those people can be connected by this web and energy can flow along that web. When energy flows along it, the entire network, as it were, becomes warm with this energy. So that there are 10 people in a group one of them is working and that then produces a sort of surge in the entire network. And this is another aspect of the saying that the work of one is the work of all, which he said to Uspensky back in Russia. And then he said, you could imagine a city like Paris and in Paris, he said, there's this network of people. There are 10 people in different parts of Paris. The network is warm with energy. This has an effect on Paris. Now, how large an effect is something different. 
Um, and he said something similar to Uspensky, um because they said, for example, in the days of ancient Egypt, the work was big and society was small. So the work could have a major effect on the society. But now society is big and the work is small. But still the principle is that the bigger the work, the stronger the work, the more the effect there can be in society, uh, that it can help others and maybe even other, other levels. But for that, there has to be real work. There has to be this sort of network. Mm-hmm. Now, I suspect that in a real group or something approaching a real group, there's already this type of connection, even at a subliminal level. Mm-hmm. But Gurdjieff also, particularly in the last years of his life, brought a way of raising this from the subliminal or the subconscious into something conscious, intentional, purposive. Mm-hmm. The idea of the streets of Paris relates to one's aim, that I want to get from here to there. To get from here to there, I have to walk along a street. There are, for example, five lamps along that street, five street lamps. I have to get to the first street lamp, then the next street lamp, then the next street lamp before I arrive at my destination. And I think it relates to this in order to work with the help for the deceased exercise or with the web exercise. I need to have developed something so I can bring something to it because this is not a base level work. I I might just say at this point that um, I've, there, there's, there's something forthcoming. I've worked on it with Stephen Sutcliffe from Edinburgh and Carol Cusack from Sydney. We've collaborated on something about Gurdjieff's exercises. And in it, I suggest that there are three octaves, as it were, of Gurdjieff's exercises. Now, this is just an analytical tool for thinking about them. I'm not saying this was Gurdjieff's idea. This is the way I approach them. But the central octave is the collected state. I am awakening the sense of my presence, my being reality in all three centers together, body, feeling, and mind. That's the central octave. That is the work. If anything is the work, it's that. The sense of my own presence, the sense of I am. Then there's another octave of exercises, which are the preparatory exercises, the atmosphere exercise, the three chairs exercise, the um, counting exercise, this type of thing. To assist one, have a better collected state. And then the third octave of exercises is exercises like the web exercise, the four ideals, the help for the deceased, which assume the collected state. Now, as with the octaves on the piano, they're all connected. And if you strike a note in one octave, there's a resonance in the other octaves too. I can't work at the preparatory exercises without also working on the collected state. But these exercises like the web, the network, the four ideals, 
I think these only have real value where something has already formed or been elaborated or crystallized. Because otherwise, I think the great danger is that they are all in the fantasy. And one imagines oneself to be a witch or a warlock or something like that. And and that would just be sleep. You mentioned in the article that Gurdjieff's, not only did the, the method of the exercise change over time or be developed over time, but his ideas too. And I'm wondering what you think about how much, well, how that might relate to what's really going on. Like, so what did, did, did Gurdjieff, how much was Gurdjieff experimenting and developing like techniques um, in the sense of, per, well, perhaps as some form of creativity, but also in a sense of maybe uh, trying to discover things and getting closer to the truth. Um, and, and how might that relate to, let's say, um, other beliefs about the afterlife, like, like from a Catholic perspective or, you know, any other religion, did, did Gurdjieff maybe, maybe have some assumptions or get some things wrong or did, or was he saying certain things that might contra uh, contradict other traditions, um, for some other reason? Just wondering how, how you might fit in his ideas into, you know, a wider religious framework. Yeah. Well, there's no question except that Gurdjieff was always learning and always discovering. Uh, no question about that. Um, there were certain things which are completely constant in his teaching. And then there were other things where there were refinements, there were developments, things which were not said earlier were said later and vice versa. But as Uspensky noted, it's very rarely possible to accuse Gurdjieff of contradicting himself. There's always, there always seemed to be something extra, which when you understood that, harmonized two seemingly inconsistent statements. And there's also, I mean, he said that often, and uh, in the Salida Solano notes, um, which have been published by Book Studio, Gurdjieff often says he's discovering this, he's learning that. And it's a, it's a never-ending process because we don't have the reason of the creator and we can't. So there's a never-ending process for us. But what happens with his ideas on the deceased is extremely interesting. Because Gurdjieff did say to Uspensky, we cannot understand what happens after death completely. We can't get the full picture. Our minds are simply not capable of it. Impossible. But yet something could be understood. And it was important, said Gurdjieff, to understand that what you can grasp depends on the level of your being. So that's, and furthermore, that it depends on the efforts you make now in this life. 
So that's why he doesn't set out visions of the afterlife. He just brings methods of work and says certain things which are, I think, designed to make one value working now. So when he had the famous conversation with Uspensky about recurrence, he said, what's the point of speaking about recurrence if you don't understand that if you're not working, recurrence doesn't even exist for you, that it's the work you do now in this moment which determines what will happen. And that's all you can do. You can't work directly on the future. But what's interesting with the help with the deceased is that he actually says in 1944 that the souls of the deceased are all around us, but we don't know where they are. They're somewhere in space, but we don't know where they are. And that's why he mentioned his mother. He knew where his mother was and his mother could find other people. Now, it seems bizarre to me. Uh, and I can't, but I can't believe that all our hopes of being able to assist our parents and work with our parents, deceased parents, depend on Gurdjieff's mother. It, maybe it just makes, maybe it was a special help that was available for people while Gurdjieff was alive. But I can't believe it could just be that. That's why the blood connection is important. I don't know where my parents are, but I would say I do know that with persistence and effort, some connection can be made. And that's what's critical. Now, what happens in um, how to reconcile that with what he said in to Spensky about how when you die, the body returns to the earth, an animating principle goes to the moon, but unless you've made something for yourself, um, there's no real post-mortem existence. And what he says in Belzebub about the Kesjan body and the soul rising the third body rising to an appropriate place, it would be possible. It, it would be possible to reconcile them, but it's not easy to explain. Basically, and, and, and I don't think Gurdjieff ever dismissed anything that was said by what he considered the religions founded by genuine messengers from above. That's Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Judaism, Hinduism, and this thing he calls Lamaism, which I, I don't think we know quite what he meant by Lamaism or who Lama was. Some people are very confident, but I, I'm not persuaded. I don't think he's saying anything they're saying is wrong. I think he's saying they are only a partial glimpse of the truth. So that's why I say that in my work as a priest, when I do the requiem masses and funerals and things like that, I believe there's some effect. I, I'm quite sure of that. Exactly how it works, I, I wouldn't want to limit anything. I, I, I wouldn't even limit the idea that Christ himself takes an active role um, because I do believe that the um, Christ, Christ can be active in this world. But how that's possible, I, I, I'm not interested in conjecturing. 
Um, Gurdjieff even says that the idea of reincarnation is not wholly wrong. He says it's an approximation to the idea of recurrence. Now, we can't even understand recurrence completely because we're told it doesn't take place in time. It takes place in eternity. But we can only speak about it as if it took place in time. We can only speak about previous and uh, prior recurrences and later recurrences, but they can't be previous and they can't be later. They're somehow simultaneous, but how this can be, we don't understand. So this again would be, this starts to then become um, almost a theoretical question. And that's why I, I haven't really gone into it how to reconcile all these different approaches. But I do feel that what Gurdjieff is saying is that if one doesn't work, then the physical body returns to the earth, something passes to the moon, and there's a certain possibility of existence after death, Maybe even he's correct in the 1940s, there is a definite existence after death. But the way I would explain it is what Mr. Rady said to me, someone that I was related to died. And Mr. Rady said to me, no, no one that's ever been brought into existence truly perishes. Whatever has come into creation must remain in creation but mr Aggie said to me your relationship to him continues to what is he related is he related to an evolving part of the universe an evolving part of the creation or not and i think mr Rady said that he was passive at the moment but did not have to remain passive if I evolved. Now, I may have mixed that in my memory with some of the things from Gurdjieff, but that is how I understood. I, I definitely had that understanding from Mr. Rady at the time. I just can't remember quite what he said. But what I am clear him saying is he's come into the creation. He can't leave the creation. He continues but to what, and he's related to you, the connection can't be broken. And to what is he connected? An evolving, someone evolving or someone devolving? And he certainly gave me to understand that if I evolve, he evolves. And th that's how I think of it now. Well, I wanted to ask a question that's a little bit outside of our conversation uh, so far, Joseph, because um, a couple of years ago when when we were in lockdown and talking about that particular situation, you had some insights into uh, another perspective on the emotions and the uh, the experiences of a lot of people given world events. And so this is kind of a general question for you, but of course a lot's happened since we last spoke. 
And um, while the developments on one level are very interesting, they're also not entirely pleasant. Uh, and, and there's so many things that seem to be occurring simultaneously. So this is really just a general question for you from your own perspective. Um, do you ever kind of, <laughs> you know, take a step back and go, you know, okay, I, I kind of think, you know, if, if Gurdjieff were alive today, he would say this, or, you know, or maybe, uh, through your own experiences and, and, and understanding and do you have any kind of um insights into these macro these multiple things that have that seem to be occurring we need, we need a prophetic insight yes into the, into the that current be, times that would be a good way yes. you're you're a resident prophet you're as close to it as we uh we can get so any thoughts there well Bennett said that this age is marked by increasing deterioration. The rate of deterioration is increasing. And I think that, generally speaking, that's correct. Gurdjieff said that we were created in order to live until we had perfected the Kesjan body until we had achieved a certain conscious development and crystallized something. But that nature changed our way of existence so that what nature obtained for us, probably from us, what nature obtained from humanity, it would obtain not by the quality of the vibrations, but by the quantity of the vibrations, the quantity of people rather than the quality of people. I think our work and the work of all the great religions must be in the opposite direction to be increasing the quality of what we bring into creation to increase the transformation of the higher. So that, as it says in the Our Father, by will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, actually, in the Greek, it's by will, as it is done in heaven, also be done on earth. The higher always comes first. So that's our task, to, to manifest something higher. And Gurdjieff also said that in the days of Jesus, it was not necessary to speak about the first conscious shock, remembering myself, because people could remember themselves more easily. It was necessary to speak about the second conscious shock, which we can take as the transformation of negative emotion into positive emotion. That's why Jesus speaks about love. But today, Gurdjieff says you can't just love on demand because maybe in Jesus' day, people could. Jesus spoke to them about the commandment to love and that shocked them and they were able to actualize it to some extent. 
but we have to begin by remembering ourselves. So all these are ways of saying that what we are faced with today is a situation in which it is harder to work. More work is demanded of us and more work of a basic level. And this is a great honour for us. It's a privilege and a responsibility. And part of it has to be remaining apart from the delusion and madness that we see in the world around us. And sometimes it's difficult not to be affected by it because it is so all-pervasive. It seems to be all-pervasive. Um, these ideologies even make their way into the Gurdjieff groups. People in the Gurdjieff groups start sprouting these ideas from um, a lower culture. Um, and it's something then that has to be harmonised in the right way and raised to a, a new level. I, I've, I've seen some of your um, videos. I, I've, I've seen a number of them. I, I have a rough idea of what I think you're speaking about. And I actually agree with you. Uh, our work is to be present so that we can be separate from it. I, I don't think it's possible to just oppose it directly because that brings us down to their level. And if anything, it feeds them with our energy. But we remain separate and we try and be sane um, and to bring understanding and being whenever we have to deal with the manifestations of the panic and the madness which are afflicting our world. That was weird. Very well put. And you you almost, one way of, another way of saying what you were saying is to be in the world, but not of it, um, to, to remit, to keep that, yeah. keep that separateness, um, to, to understand, to be aware. And this, I, I can't remember if we discussed this with you in either of our conversations, but we, I think in our some of our first videos that we did on Gurdjieff, we made reference to his the the years he spent um, getting out of Russia during the revolution and during the civil war and in in the Russian Empire and the 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 canniness and the 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 skill and the seeming luck that he and all of all of the people he had with him had to go through to essentially navigate uh, navigate a civil war and and they did it and th those are some of my some of the stories about Gurdjieff that I like reading the most um, just because it's well it would make a great movie for <laughs> first of all but the, just the, the total chaos of, of that situation and but and, but Gurdjieff being who he was managed to navigate it, you know, every twist and turn to get out of there. And he, he couldn't have done that by taking sides, for instance, and by being influenced by any of the any of the ideology that was going on um, on both sides of uh, of the conflict in, in Russia. You know, um, the, to 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 let that into oneself would then or to in, into any of them 
the the way I picture it in my mind is to let that in is to almost let that conflict become a part of yourself and then to become part of that conflict. And, and then, you know, a lot of people died in that conflict, but Gurdjieff's people got out. Um, yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. Um, did you have any other thoughts? If not, I, I've got a last question. Yeah. There's a very illuminating, um, conversation in Chechevich's memoirs where, you know, Chechevich was, um, but that they, they were in Constantinople, they'd fled Russia and, uh, they were criticizing the Jews because they said the Jews didn't fight in the war like good patriots. And Gurdjieff said, well, that just shows how much more objective the Jews are how much more that they had a wisdom to see that they should remain separate from the fray. And Chechevich said they were abashed when Gurdjieff said that. They realised the truth of it. Um, and I, I think that that is illuminating because it applies to so much of what goes on around us now. There are all sorts of battles, all sorts of conflicts, all sorts of disputes. And... Um, I, yeah, I I don't believe that people striving for this spiritual goal can become party political. Certainly not in a partisan way. Um, to to enter, as I say, to to actually enter into it and be arguing about certain things. There, there, there is a time where sometimes you have to say this is wrong. And, and Mr. Rady would say that. Mr. Rady would comment about things in society and say this is wrong. And, and sometimes you have to say that. But you can do that while remaining separate from it. In fact, you can only really do it while remaining separate because otherwise you become partisan. And I think that's the, that's the danger, to become identified with the causes to the points of madness. We don't have to do that. We can see that something is wrong, but yet not be identified with our um, understanding that it is wrong. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think we'll, we'll wrap up in just a bit, Joseph. So I want to ask one last question. Um, we'll see where it goes. But you have a new book that that you've been that you finished writing that you've been working on for several years. You mentioned it a couple of years ago when we last talked because um, I think you were still you'd either just started the project or you were in the midst of uh, in midst of work on the project. But it, it's a, a work about um, John G. Bennett, and I want because the because the book isn't published. I was wondering if you could maybe just give us a brief overview a, a brief overview about it and maybe how it might relate to the discussion that we had today about the um the help for the deceased yeah what happened was that after i finished the book gurdjieff mysticism etc i i felt i need a holiday and then it came to me and I was thinking, 
maybe the next project I'll get into will be something on Uspensky or something on Arage, or maybe I'll do something completely different, something to do with Syriac Christianity. And then it came to me, no, I have to do something about Bennett. I, and it just came to me. It, it, um, and it came with a certain conviction. And so I started working with a group of people. And initially the idea was that we would produce a volume where different people took different chapters. So I was just going to write an, a biographical introduction to Bennett's life and maybe a chapter on Bennett and mysticism. Someone else would write a chapter on Bennett and the New Age, someone on Bennett and his book, The Dramatic Universe, this type of thing. But what happened was that as I worked through Bennett's book, Witness, and the other biographical materials which were available, my chapter became larger and larger until it became a 150,000 word study. And what I found necessary was to have a clear principle running through the study, a sort of a guiding line. And it wasn't just the chronological development of Bennett's life, interesting as that is, it was actually the 24 visions that he had because Bennett gave one of the very first and clearest ever vision of existence, of, of the near-death experience. Um, the, the, near death ex the literature of the near-death experience may even have begun or certainly taken a new level with Bennett's publication of his near-death experience in 1918 when he left his body uh, after having been wounded in World War One, and, and then there are a whole series of visions, one of the most important of which is the King's College vision, as I call it, where Gurdjieff, sorry, Bennett is given the insight that those school friends of his who died in World War One have not disappeared, which relates to what Mr. Aidy said to me. That they didn't die, or their physical bodies died, but their possibilities have not been destroyed. They died young. Their and. There's a bit of a story, I, I won't go into it now, but the whole of Bennett's book is really a witness to the mysteries of life, death and resurrection. And that was very clear in the 1962 edition, but he changed it in the later editions and he obscured that and he did it for a purpose. And I, I'll go into that one day but the whole of it is about the mystery of life death and resurrection and what's really critical is that bennett found from his own experience and it's i i am persuaded 
that something survives death, but it will be passive and won't have a power of intentional movement or its own independent volition unless something unless that power of independent volition is realized in this life. That is, unless one works for real I in this life, that does not take place after death. One remains fairly passive. Now, what else might happen after death, we don't know. Um, Christian ideas of redemption, um, other ideas can come into play. I'm sure that they do. But if one works for the development of an independent will in this life, it will have an effect on one's survival after death. And how Bennett established that is the subject of the book. And I, I, I roam all throughout his writings, and I was very fortunate. Ben and George Bennett gave me access to a lot of unpublished material from Bennett and drew my attention to changes Bennett made in editions of his book. So, for example, Spiritual Psychology, one of the most important of all Bennett's books, in my opinion. There's very important material in the first edition, which he removed from the second edition. Concerning Sabud, uh, his best-selling book ever, there's very important material in the first edition, which was taken out of subsequent editions. And if you don't seek out those rare first editions, you, you'll never have access to it. But I do refer to them all in the book, and where possible I set them out in as much detail. So it all does dovetail with what we're saying today, but it unfolds over the course of Bennett's life. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward very much to reading it. Do you, does the did the initial idea for the project is that st- still in motion at all like are those other um other people who are planning to write other chapters um st- still or or planning to do anything with uh with those lines of uh of work or was that kind of yeah, yeah no no some some people are to quite definitely and and one of the uh, in some ways one of the most important maybe even the most important um fruit of this initiative will be when Anthony Blake uh, completes what he's writing on. Because from what I can see, um, well, first of all, it's just a fact. Um, Anthony Blake was responsible for collecting and preserving a lot of the material which otherwise would have been lost. Mm. And uh, he was with Bennett from the Coombe Springs days. He came onto the scene just as Bennett was leaving Sabud. He was there when Bennett met Idri Shah, and he was with Bennett till the end. Uh, in fact, Bennett brought him back for Sherborne. Anthony hadn't wanted to be part of Sherborne. Bennett brought him back, and Anthony's insights are quite extraordinary. In fact, my book would not be it would only be a shell of what it is, but for the contributions which Anthony Blake made. And there were certain things about Bennett, which something in me didn't want to see. And Anthony held them before me, and he wouldn't let me escape from them. So I'm very grateful to him for that. Um, There are some other people who are working on things. I probably shouldn't name them because um, 
I'm not sure how far advanced they are, but Anthony's done a considerable amount of work. And as I say, I think it will be more valuable than my book when eventually it appears. Great. Well, that's, it's so, it, for me, it's so good to, to, to know that there will be more material on Bennett coming out because despite the fact that he, that he wrote so much and that so much was published from his talks that he gave, there isn't really a huge secondary literature on him. Um, you know, there, I found a, a few memoirs, um, you know, like Sherborne and the new one, um, I can't remember the author's name that just came out recently. Real People, I believe it's called. Roberta Crony. Yes, right. Roberta Crony. Yeah, C-H-R-O-M-E-Y. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend that book. I, I know that some of the people who were with Bennett um, are not fond of it. I, I can't understand that. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that Roberta has done a tremendous work with it. Um Diane Salento's book had some very good material as well, but it's not to be compared to Roberta's. Um, mm. Alan Roth's book on Sherborne is also extremely good. Yep. Um, and if you, I'm not sure if it's still available or not, but Roberta's is available. And um, I think even if you don't have an interest in Bennett or Irma's Popoff, who also features in Roberta's book, it's worthwhile just out of interest. And if it doesn't take you further, I'd be very surprised. Hmm. Great. All right. Well, thank you again, Joseph. I think we'll leave it there. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. We, we will, we'll, we'll put a link to your blog and to, to your book and we will for sure have you on again, hopefully to talk about the Bennett book when it comes out. So we'll look, we're looking forward to that. Good. We'll keep in touch. Thanks, Ben. All right. All the best. All right. Thank Bye. you. All right. Be Take well. Care. Bye.